it really relates to how we are going to be heading towards in terms of the future. So if we don't change, then there are going to be catastrophes that are not just、uh, to the people in the U.S., but also people in every different nation, in every nation in the world. Is the destiny of entire humankind. Welcome back. I'm here with Samuel Chang, who's going to talk about a book called *The Uba Prophecy*. Samuel, welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me here, Sean. Okay, now you're all over the internet in terms of your origin story and things like that, but just. Tell the audience just a brief introduction about yourself and why you're interested in this book. So, right now I'm a certified court interpreter and a Chinese translator in Los Angeles. When I was young, I was fascinated by space and ETs because I thought if the ETs could come and visit us, they must have advanced technologies and knowledge, and we can just cut the corners and learn from them to progress at a much faster pace. We wouldn't need to go through all the Processes of、uh, developing all the different hypotheses and theories on different、uh, laws of physics. We could just、uh, bypass all the steps and to go direct and learn the final gem of physics and things like that. So I was、uh, interested in searching for information from ET contactees and to learn what the ETs told us about how we are living our lives and how the things are are going right now. Now. When you're going through this search, how old were you, and where were you when you discovered this book? Well, I was in the U.S. at that time. That was back in 2014. So I was searching on Amazon for ET contactees information and and books about that, and I found this book, Abduction to the Ninth Planet. It was called back then, and I didn't really pay much attention because I thought it's just another ET contactees book. By that time, I read so many already. I checked it out from local library because it was selling very expensively on Amazon. But I couldn't put the book down. <laughs> I couldn't put the book down because it really answered all the questions I had in my mind about the paranormal, the mysteries in the world, ancient civilizations, the pyramid, Bermuda Triangle, stories in the Bible, and also advice that the ETs are giving us how we should live our lives、uh, to build a better world. Now, when you talk about ETs in this book, I believe in prior inter- interviews you talked about there being nine types of worlds in the universe. Can you say a little bit more about that? To be more exact, it should be nine categories of planets in the universe. Sorry, yeah, yes. So there are nine different categories of different planets in the universe. We are living on category one planet, the lowest category in the universe. And they, the Thubans, the ETs that Michel de Marquet, the author, had contact with, and they live on category nine planet. And higher than category nine, that will be the source, the creator of the universe, the great ether, that the Thubans can join and rejoin at any given time. And I think there's nothing to be ashamed of living on category one planet, because we are just like elementary school students learning the basics. And we we can just learn gradually and to progress. And when you read this book, and you actually went to Vietnam to meet Michel De Marquet, what was his motivation for writing the book? 
Well, he had to write a book because that's the whole purpose of the ETs taking him from Earth, his hometown, Keynes, Australia, to their planet for nine days and then came back. He was instructed to write a book and to report everything that happened to him, what he saw, what he experienced, and how he felt about everything. This is their order or instruction. And this happened in, I know the book was, I think was published in 1989. When did he have this experience? Well, the it happened in 1987, and he finished writing the book in 1989 and got it published in 1993. Okay. And then you read this book, you felt motivated to visit him in Vietnam, and then you were able to bring it into the Chinese market, and it sold, it had bestseller status, at least in the science fiction category, and that's not you know, we're not saying it's a science fiction book. It's just if you want to sell a book like this in China, you can't sell it any other way. Is that an accurate statement? That's right. Because in China, the media is controlled by the government and there's a strong censorship. Actually, there's no such a category of nonfiction paranormal books. It's just uh, either it's science fiction or is narrative or documentary or something like that. If it's written or published as a documentary or, or a report, it wouldn't have been published by the censorship or maybe by the government. Yeah. And I believe the version that's sold in America or the United States is a little bit different than the version that's in China because there was something that was removed. What part of the book was removed in, in China? In China, there's one part that mentioned about communism. They're saying that communal society that's not equivalent to uh, communism because communism is a dictatorship government. This part is removed. And the other part is removed is the reference related to the Tiananmen Square incident back in 1989. Okay. Yeah. And for folks who, in the American audience who are living under a rock, that was when there were protests in Tiananmen Square. And I can't remember the name of the army unit, but it was from inner Manchuria that came in to end the protest. The What happened was that there was a tank man who uh, stood in front of a tank and then stopped the military from coming into Beijing city and having the massacre. What happened was that one man stopped temporarily the military from coming into doing everything that they were going to do to the people. Yeah, that again, that's the iconic tank man. Just as a quick aside, whatever happened to him? Is he still around? I don't think he's still alive or around. And they finally did everything that they were going to do, despite what happened. And I think that's an unfortunate history in China. Okay. So going back to the book, there's nine categories of planets. Why are we here on a category one? And why are they there on a category nine? In other words, did we screw up somewhere? Or are we just less evolved, a younger planet, you know, kind of what's the explanation behind that? Well, on this planet, we have uh, young souls, we have uh, old souls. People learn different lessons here on Earth, spiritual lessons to be precise, because we have our physical body, we also have our astral body, and the astral body takes away the experiences of all the things that happen in our lifetime to our higher self. So once we evolve spiritually enough, we can progress to the next level. 
So some of us are young souls, but some of us are older souls, and some of us can remember what happened in our past lives. So this is uh, the gist of the book, is that uh, we are here to learn different lessons in order to progress. And also talk about a lot of other people, like, for example, Michelle de Marquet, the author, was living on Category 7 planet before, but then he made a mistake, and he was sent back here to learn more lessons. What was his mistake? Well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's actually a, a secret that he told uh, to his friend uh, before he passed away. I think he violated one of the Ten Commandments mm. indirectly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So why did they choose to take Michel Marquet for nine days? This is a very good question. I think there are three reasons. First, he is a man of action. He took actions immediately whenever he was instructed to do certain things. And his main purpose was to write a book, and he did it. And the second reason is the main reason is that he was a what they call Suko, a person who has had 80 past lives already. Only a person like him, a Suko, could survive for nine days on their planet and then come back. Other people like me or others, uh, they can only probably survive for maybe three or four days, not nine days, probably because of the vibrations or things like that. And the third reason, I think, is another valid reason is that he was a landscaper in Australia, a farmer. He didn't have any higher education before. He didn't have any preconceived notions or presuppositions of uh, what's going to happen about a UFO if they were to take a ufologist or physicist to their planet and then come back, there would be a lot of additions or paintings of their own ideologies to the book. This is not what they wanted. They wanted an accurate report of what really happened. And what's Michel de Marquet's background? You mentioned he was a farmer. Is he Australian? I mean, he's a very French-sounding name. He was born in France, Normandy, Normandy, France, but he later moved to, to Australia. So he's a French Australian. Okay. All right. Now, you said he was a Suko? Yes. What language is that? That's Theoban, the language uh, spoken on the planet Theoban, the planet where he visited for nine days. Okay. So when he was there, very briefly, what did they reveal to him or tell him? Well, they told him about all the mysteries of the paranormal on Earth, such as what really happens when someone gets stuck into the Bermuda Triangle, which is a portal warp into a parallel universe. And who really built the Great Pyramid of Egypt? For what purposes? And what really happened in the history regarding the ancient civilizations like Atlantis, Lemuria, and the ancient Egyptians? And where we all came from originally, like the yellows and the blacks originally came from a planet called Bakratini 1.35 million years ago. And then the Caucasians came and then the uh, ancestors of the uh, Polynesians came. And then the uh, Jewish people, the Hebrews came the last about 12,000 years ago. And also the stories in the Bible, like what really happened to the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, what really happened when Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt, who parted the Sea of Reeds, not the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds, who gave the manas to the Hebrews and Moses to eat, and also the birth of Jesus and Christ. I saw a lot of things 
So who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, turned it into a pillar of salt? The Theobans, because the people in the two cities were so evil and incompassionate, and they actually punished the compassionate people, like a girl who helped the poor. And the girl gave him food, but they punished the girl to death. So this is how evil the people in the two cities were at that time. The Theobans, the ETs, believe that it's a danger to the people who were in contact with them because leading a lot of people to a moral decay or downfall. So it's just like a cancer cell or tumor, malignant tumor in your body. You have to take them out by having a surgery. So this is what they did. Why destroy a human city, though? I mean, I know you talked about a cancer. Like, what's their relationship with the Earth? They have been guiding people on Earth throughout history. Since the yellows and the blacks first came to Earth, they have been helping us in general, like throughout history, directly or indirectly. When we were not ready, they helped us indirectly. When we were ready, like the people on the continent of Lemuria, they were spiritually evolved enough to have a direct communication or conversation with the Theobans. So they had been like uh, our professors or mentors guiding us to evolve spiritually and to survive more successfully on this planet. So they're kind of our mentors. And how do they interact with the world? I mean, on the one hand, they'll come and destroy a city. But on the other hand, they seem to be much more subtle. So how do they interact? Is it with a one on, on a one-on-one basis, like with Michel de Marquet? Or is it something that someone must seek? What's their kind of medium or role of interaction with the population? Well, they take different means to interact with us. Throughout history, they took people to their planet, like Michel de Marquet. Enoch was one of the people they took to their planet. So there's the book of Enoch. And sometimes they intervene directly or indirectly. When they couldn't find a single compassionate person, they would destroy the entire city, like Sodom and Gomorrah. When they find that there are people who needed to be saved, or, and they try to save us, like helping Moses to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt, because they believe that at that time, the Hebrews were spiritual and following their own religions, religious beliefs. But the Egyptians, the pharaohs, were kind of uh, restricting other religious uh, or spiritual involvement. So this is why they sent Moses to us and to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt to escape from the uh, evil rules of the pharaohs. So they help that indirectly or directly, if you uh, think that way. But they also intervened uh, directly about 2,000 years ago by having Jesus and Christ come to us. And this book, this is getting more interesting because according to Theoba prophecy, this book, Jesus and Christ were actually two different beings. Jesus, the one who was born out of Virgin Mary, was actually born out of an embryo put in by the Theobans, the ETs, into the uterus of Virgin Mary. And indeed, he was born out of a Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that younger, that young Jesus, even though he was highly spiritual, intelligent, having a very good conversation with the teachers of the temple, he couldn't perform miracles. And later he went to India and died in Japan. So there's a tomb of Jesus in Japan, in Shingo village, Japan. But the Christ who preached 
and performed all the miracles was not the same person as Jesus. Because when a person is born out of an embryo, the person would have to pass through what the Nagas would call the river of oblivion, forgetting all the things that happened in the past lives. Yeah, the, the river sticks, according yes. to the Greeks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So forgetting all the knowledge to perform miracles. So that young Jesus born out of Virgin Mary couldn't perform miracles. So this is why there's no record in the Bible of Jesus performing any miracles. The Christ, on the other hand, was one of the Theobans who actually built a body of Jesus that resembled the appearance of Jesus. And then the astral body of the Theobans uh, went inside of the body made by them. And then that Christ began preaching. So this is why when Christ saw his mother after he began preaching, uh, he didn't call his mother mother, he called his mother woman. So I find that and, consistent. And this is what the, the book said. Is there any independent sources that, you know, could show that he was in, Jesus was in, died in Shingo, Japan, and any other corroboration that would at least point to it? I know 2,000 years ago is a, a difficult task to find something, but are there any fact patterns historically that can at least point in that direction? I mean, there are historical, historical records of Jesus going to India. And right now in Japan, people can visit the tomb of Jesus Christ in Shingo village there. And people have studied about that village and found that they still sing a song that sounded like ancient Hebrew language. And they still have different customs that are so different from the nearby villages, and they don't know where they came from. And the descriptions in the book are so precise and detailed that it says that there's another tomb next to the tomb of Jesus, which is the tomb of his brother. And there's a lock of hair buried in the tomb of uh, the brother of Jesus. So if uh, right now people want to open that tomb, they can verify the information. I think it's not just this details in the book. There are other details in the book that I later was able to verify and validate. So I, I think it's impossible for Michel de Marquet to make this up, especially before the days of the internet, especially given the fact that he didn't know how to type a computer and never traveled to Japan and didn't know how to search information elsewhere. And what sort of things in the book have you, as just examples, have you kind of verified? Yes. After Michel de Marquet entered into their spacecraft, they disinfected him using yellow light and blue light. So there's a Harvard Medical School study that says a specific certain wavelengths of blue light have uh, antibacterial antiviral effects. So that's a research study done just a few years ago. And there's also another study that just came out, I think three or four years ago, that says certain wavelengths of yellow light also have antibacterial effects. And also the book talks about the US government sending hundreds of millions of needles into space. It specifically mm -hmm. mentioned that if people don't believe anything written in the book, they can check that out. And I did look it up. It turned out to be Project Westford in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. I think the U.S. government uh, collaborated with MIT, sending hundreds of millions of copper needles into space in order to improve the uh, telecommunication signals. They thought that uh, the signals would bounce back from the copper needles, but the ETs believed that that would cause a ha harm 
to the people on Earth. So they collected the needles. So the first project Westport failed, according to official records, because it failed to launch. And the second project Westport, according to official records, is a success. But who knows? Because millions of uh, government spending were were spent, and, and they probably need to save face. According to the EPs, the second launch was also a failure because they also collected the needles. The official records say otherwise. Yeah, Project Westward was definitely a thing. That's for sure. Anything else? Examples that you can think of that you were able to confirm? The existence of uh, reincarnation. And I think uh, that's very important because more and more modern researchers confirm that people do live many lives after they pass away. Dr. Michael Newton, Dr. Ian Stevenson, and Dr. Brian Weiss, they all have uh, extensive studies done on reincarnation. And also the fact that parallel universe exists in certain locations on Earth, that's also a validation of this book, because David Politis, a researcher who wrote the Missing 401 series of books, also documented a lot of uh, people who just suddenly vanished when they hiked the U.S. national parks. One of the theories is that they actually were sucked into a parallel universe. And this book talks about what it is really inside of a parallel universe. And I think there's another validation. Do people who are sucked into these parallel universes ever come back? And if not, where do they go? Like what's in this parallel universe? Well, some of them come back and some of them, most of them stuck there forever unless they know how to get out. I think it's important to know that in a parallel universe, time stops and people don't feel any hunger or thirst or pain. David Politis has one case that's very interesting, is that when the body of the person who had gone vanished was found, and it seemed that that person walked to his bones. So it seemed that he didn't feel any pain. And so this kind of indirectly corroborates with the fact that inside of a parallel universe, people don't feel any pain. And also today, I just found that uh, Dr. Wilbur Allen, I don't know if you know him or not, he actually had uh, some devices or equipment that monitor different locations in space where UFOs frequently occur, appear or disappear. And there are certain locations in space in which just UFOs or UAPs suddenly appear or disappear. And I think this is also another validation of this book because this book talks about the ETs using parallel universe as a way to hide themselves. So they come in and go out of parallel universe, appear and disappear, because they don't want to cause a lot of uh, panic on Earth. So they use that as a hiding place. And Dr. Wilbur Allen is able to find where exactly those portals are. People should check him out as well. What was his name again? Dr. Wilbur Allen. Allen. Uh, yes. Okay, so it's not necessarily the same as our universe. It's kind of like a temporal pocket or something like that where time exactly. time stops. But you said that somebody just walked until they were bones? 
So people vanish into the parallel universe and sometimes they accidentally get out. So when they accidentally get out and their corpse are found, and, and one of the cases in which David Pilatus documented was that it seems that he walked to their bones. The bones came out mm. from walking. Oh, I see. Yeah. As if I he see, didn't see. feel any pain. Okay. So so the person would have been alive on the other side, came back, and had been walking for so long that he was dead. Yes. He walked so long inside the parallel universe that he didn't feel any pain. And then he suddenly came out of the parallel universe and died. Mm. And people don't die in parallel universe because, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting that when time stops, you're just something like a mummy or something that you, you just live there and you don't know why you live there. Is there anything there? I mean, is it like if you disappear in a forest and you walk into one of these portals, what does it look like on the other side? At least if the book covers that. So when Michel de Marquet was inside of a parallel universe, he saw people wearing medieval clothes and people who behaved like savages. So people accidentally got stuck into the parallel universe and they, they're stuck there. So they just uh, wander around and wearing whatever they were wearing before. And they didn't know why they, they were there. And frequently they don't have a lot of knowledge. It's not a good place to be in, actually. Really savages using people who are primitive humans, basically. Yes, primitive human beings. And I suspect, it's just my personal conjecture, I suspect that the Bigfoot that people saw or people see are from parallel universe because they know how to navigate inside and outside of parallel universe. So this is why sometimes they appear and disappear. And then when humans are there, are they just so confused that he just can't or are there like civilizations and communities on the other side the parallel universe that shadow Marquet was led into didn't have any civilizations it's just people just went there and walked around and actually the savages tried to attack them as well it was a very dangerous situation and the et named tal had to kill some of their the savages in order to protect michelle de Marquet and is for self-defense reasons. So it's a very strange field or, or universe or sphere. I would say that if people hike in national parks in the U.S., when they suddenly see the things change, the environment change, they should go back to where they came from immediately, just walk backwards and to go back to where they came from. So not to be stuck there. Because they are like spheres moving around in space. They may elevate to higher higher attitudes, and that wouldn't be a good thing when you want to try to get out. And the portals, are they just wormholes, like the Renzian wormholes that open up, or is it something we don't understand yet? Well, they're just kind of like a wormholes or like portals or warps. There is just a natural phenomenon. And I think with Dr. Wilbur Allen's research, we can actually pinpoint the exact locations of the uh, portals into a parallel universe. But remember, they frequently change the, their locations because they float around in space. So they constantly change their locations. It's dynamic. 
But it's the same region, though, because you said he was able to predict where these UFO sightings were happening frequently. Yes, within a certain region. But to pinpoint their locations exactly, it requires a specific time because to, to because they, they frequently change their locations over time. And I think the Bermuda Triangle is actually one of the most well-known locations on Earth. And the reason I know that they changed in their locations because there was a case in the 1800s in which uh, a boy, he was getting water from a well in his backyard and it was snowing. And he walked outside of his house to his backyard and disappeared and vanished. And his family members were looking for him by following his footsteps. But his footsteps stopped in the middle of nowhere. But they could hear his sound, his voice from far away, kind of like lingering voices and changing different locations. But the voice became like the volume became smaller and smaller until they couldn't hear anything anymore. So this is why I think that I'm pretty sure that the locations of the parallel universe kind of swings around. So, so I think uh, it's a good validation. So why did the Theubans take Michel de Marquet to the parallel universe? Just to show them what they're like? or They used uh, the parallel universe as a hiding place to prevent Michel de Marquet's neighbors and people in Australia from seeing them. So once inside the parallel universe, their spacecraft wouldn't be able to be seen by people on Earth. So it's a hiding place. And why hide? Because they didn't want to cause a panic on Earth or to the people on Earth. Okay. Now, abductees, contactees, sometimes or most often report grays and things like that. That's an entirely different thing, correct? Yes, it's an entirely different race of ETs. The Theobans, they're Nordic-looking, 9 or 10 foot tall, hermaphrodite, meaning that they have both male and female sexual organs. They're highly compassionate and loving people. When Michel de Marquet was uh, with them, he didn't really want to come back to Earth because Theoba was just like a paradise to him. Everything was so wonderful and so perfect. And those people are highly advanced and highly evolved. They know everything. They never age because they have the knowledge to regenerate their body, tissues, and cells and organs. And they can actually perform all the miracles as performed by Christ, like levitation, having telepathy, communications, and materializing and manifesting objects, and also making an adult human being within 24 hours. This is the thing that they can do. They showed Michel de Marquet some of their abilities and supernatural psychic powers. The Greys are a different kind of ETs, and they actually told Michel de Marquet about the Greys as well. In 1995, Michel de Marquet received a telepathic message telling him that he could reveal the information about the Grace. The Grace who came here did put implants to people on Earth, 150 or so people by the year 1995, in order to monitor our activities and how we respond to the increasingly decreased immune system. Because the Grace are a dying race, they have been losing their immune system since uh, ancient times. They wanted to see how we respond to the same situation. They're learning from us because we 
have been losing our immune system since, since 1948. But the Thubans say that there is no harm to the implants to us because they have been monitoring the activities of the grace. I kind of think that the personal opinion is that if the crashed ET or UFOs are from the grace, if they are from the grace, then we are actually learning from our peers. The grace also come from a category one planet. So if we really want to learn, we should learn from the masters. We should learn from the inhabitants of a category nine planet, learn from the Theobans who have been guiding us throughout history, throughout ancient past. Have you had any experiences with the Theobans at all? Not at all, because I want to learn the best I can here on Earth without their assistance, because that would be the best way to learn. Like a lot of people ask, uh, why the ETs don't just show us and, and help us to resolve all the issues on Earth? I would counter that just like parents teaching their children mathematical problems. If they're really smart and wise, they would tell their children the basic principles so that their children can find the ways to solve the problems on their own. So similarly, the ETs, uh, at least the students, they never served the meal on the plate. They wanted us to go through this struggling process to learn on our own, our own how to survive and how to evolve more spiritually on Earth so that we can remember better. In your opinion, why do you think the book did so well in China? What aspects of it made it spread? You know, it's kind of like... Uh, I mean, just, just not to interrupt, but if you know the answer to this, how many, just to give a U.S. audience a sense of the scope of this, how many copies has it sold so far in China? So far in China, it's sold uh, close to 500 thousand copies just for print book that doesn't include digital copies and people who download the book free of charge because people still can download a free copy of the book on the internet so even that's the case without any copyright protection physical copies close to 500,000 copies that's in China in Taiwan close to 50,000 copies and and I think the the reason is that the social media, kind of caught the story. And because of the government control and censorship, people were so eager to look for kind of like spiritual and science fictional books. And this book fills the vacuum of the demand of the people in China. And with the social media's attention, and I think people wanted to learn more about it. So just to give folks a sense of the scale of that, if you write a book in the United States and you sell 10,000 copies in the first week, which is very rare, you are likely, and I say are likely for a very specific reason, to be a New York Times bestseller. Now, if that book is about something that the New York Times doesn't agree with, you can sell 500,000 books and you won't be a New York Times bestseller. But just to give a sense of the scale, you know, if it's a a book that's kind of right down the middle in the United States, 10,000 copies would in a week, you know, it's 10,000 copies in one week would make you a New York Times bestseller. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. I want to just give people context because people, you're going to have a lot of cynical people being like, you know, China has over a billion people, 500,000 is not a huge number, but two things, people don't buy as many books as you think they buy. That's number one. 
And number two, that's demonstrated by you sell 10,000 books in your first week. That's all it takes to be a New York Times bestseller. Okay. There's something that you didn't mention on this podcast, but in some of the materials that you sent over, there's a reference to the Philadelphia experiment. Can you say a little bit about that and how it's tied to the Theoba prophecy? Yes. This book specifically mentions that the U.S. government was trying to develop a time machine. And it actually is trying to help the U.S. government to successfully develop a time machine by saying that when a planet starts or gets, gets formed, there's a psychosphere, what the author would call a psychosphere, what some spiritual people would call the Akashic Record, that kind of like a cocoon that rotates at seven times the speed of light, recording and documenting everything that happens on the planet. So if you can match the vibrations of that cocoon, then you can access the Akashic Record or the time machine, what happened in the past. So they're seeing that the U.S. government was trying to focus more on the wavelength, not the vibrational frequencies. So they're seeing that if you really want to successfully come up with a time machine, you should instead match the vibrational frequencies of the cocoon so that you can get the information out. So this led me to think about the Philadelphia experiment that happened a few decades ago, in which they were trying to cloak the ship from radars by projecting certain wavelengths of energy onto the ship so that the ship wouldn't be able to be detected by the radars. But then something strange happened. There was a kind of time or, or space dislocation. And I think after that, the people have been trying to develop something from what happened to the Philadelphia experiment. And I think they haven't, at least by the year when the book was published, they were not successful yet. I don't know what's happening right now, because some people like Peter Moon says that the government has uh, developed something already. I, I don't know. Can you say more about you have to focus on vibrational frequency rather than the wavelength. wavelength because aren't they inversely related? I mean, this is something about the book. I mean, Michel de Marquet is a farmer, a landscaper. He didn't have any, a lot of scientific background. So when certain mm -hmm. scientific knowledge was told to him, either he said, oh, don't say that to me because I'm not a scientist. And then the conversation would stop. Okay, so, so he put it he, he put it into his own words and in yeah, doing so there's a little bit of imprecise language that can get you kind of tied up in this because you know again they're I think they're inversely related. Okay, so vibrational frequency just means something else. It doesn't necessarily mean the wavelengths frequency. Right. And another example is that when Michel de Marquet saw sparkling lights on their monitor when they were traveling. He asked them what they are, and they were they told him that it's the antimatter guns that they were using to destroy the space stars and small asteroids. And then they were trying to explain to him how and why they did that. And Michel de Marquet stopped them saying that, oh, don't get into the scientific details and <laughs> things like that. It's kind of very unfortunate. But you know, one thing is that I noticed that in one of the lectures that Michel de Marquet gave, one of the reasons they, why they didn't take a scientist or physicist to their planet was that 
according to Michel de Marquet, according to him, if they took like a scientist or physicist to their planet, then the Theobans, the ETs, would be very afraid of us turning the knowledge into weapons and destroy ourselves. So this is why they specifically chose someone who didn't have scientific background to their planet and report everything he saw. Okay. Yeah. Did you know there's antimatter in your banana? Did you know that? <laughs> very, 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 very small things, but yeah, did a whole other episode on that with a NASA <laughs> scientist. So what is their goal on Earth? It, it seems like from what you've said earlier, it's to educate the human race to be teachers. So if someone is open to more understanding, how do they interface with either you know the universe, God, Theubans, other ETs? Because I think you mentioned something about it's kind of like Martin Luther, the Martin Luther effect, right? Which is, you know, without the intercession of the priesthood. And I think we're in a moment in time that people are coming to the same realization about governments, right? Just going direct because the government's not going to, you know, they're going to fight tooth and nail to reveal any of this knowledge. So how do people get around that? So the book actually gives a solution that's through the power of the people, because the power of the people is not to be underestimated. It actually gives a very good example of what happened on a different planet, in which it only took about four people to change dictatorship government into a more democratic, more spiritual government form. And what happened was that the four people preached about spirituality and love, and they protested in front of the palace of the government, and the soldiers shot them to death. And in the first place, nothing happened. But uh, a few months later, the people of the country began to realize what happened, and they collectively formed a concerted action and had a strike, and everything stopped. The police joined the force, the military joined the force, and everyone stopped working. And so the government, being a dictatorship government, had to cave in to the demands of the people. So actually, only like took a few months for the government to change, and the people rose up to the power. Similarly, is trying to give us knowledge that we can do the same thing here on Earth, just like what uh, Martin Luther King preached and what Gandhi did in India. Through nonviolent resistance, we can rise up against tyranny and to change the world to have a better future. And actually, the key is to know that we are the creations of God, and when God created every one of us, it inserted a tiny portion of itself to each of our astral bodies. So we are part of God, and God is part of us. So when we really want to connect to God, we don't really need to go through an intermediary agency like the organized religious organizations. And we can actually just pray and meditate to really follow what the intuition tells us to do or our gut feelings, or just have a good night of sleep. Because in dreams and in meditation and prayers, sometimes the answers will be given to us if it is good for our spiritual development. So it's important to realize this. We don't have to pay money to wash our sins away, and we don't need to donate to the religious organizations in order to get together and to follow the, the teachings of uh, Christ. 
we can just do that directly. The key is to follow the teachings of Christ and not to follow a specific religious organization or a specific religion. Now, before this call, we were talking a little bit about Chris Bledsoe and the experiences that he's been having with these light entities and things like that. And folks would have seen that on the latest Beyond Skinwalker Ranch in the United States, which aired two days ago. So those entities, which he, you know, doesn't know, but I think he believes are angelic or light beings of some sort. Where does that tie into this Theuban prophecy or worldview? I think there are different ETs that have come to visit us, but most ETs have been observers. They don't intervene or interfere with what we have here, whether good or bad. And actually, except for the Theobans, not a lot of ETs intervene with our activities here on Earth. They may just guide us indirectly by projecting certain images to us and, and to give us guidance how to live our lives more spiritually. I think it ties into how we should be more spiritual using technologies to help our spiritual development so that we don't destroy Earth. And actually, the Theobans I list, they tell us the four most dangerous things on Earth, the true dangers on Earth. Number one being money. Number two being politicians. Number three, journalists and drugs. Number four, religions. So everything is tied to money. So if you look at the big pharma, big energy companies, and, and even the media, they all revolve around money. So I think uh, a lot of ETs have been telling us we should focus more on spiritual involvement or development, not to be so delved into the accumulation of wealth. And actually, it's true, because if you look at the stories from people who have near-death experiences, not a single one regretted of not investing in certain stock that uh, went up in value. They all regretted of not having a good relationship with their friends or family or relatives. And they all wanted to live a better life by giving more love to their uh, friends and family members. Well, you can't take it with you, right? Right, right. <laughs> I'm not going to even ask you about why politicians would be put in that. I mean, it's, it's self-explanatory. And personally, I don't need to understand why journalists would be put into that category. But why? What was the explanation for folks who still who still believe what these people write? Why would this philosophy put journalists in that bucket? Because one could make the counter argument that they make sure that information gets out, whether or not it's biased or unbiased. At least it's out there. Because right now, the journalists all want to pursue sensationalism. They want to report stories that catch the eyes and make money for the media companies. So it actually damages our psyche the, because bad news sells. If they only report the bad news, it's going to influence a lot of people's actions. For example, if one murder was reported sensationalist, sensationalist, by, by the journalists, then a lot of people would imitate the actions of the murderer, and that would cause more detrimental effect to the society in general. Instead, journalists would report accurately and briefly about the negative events that happened in our society, and also focus more of their attention to reporting the 
the good things that people do in our lives, the compassionate people, the people who help others, so that people, when they read their stories, they would want to imitate and help each other. So it's going to improve our society in general to make our society more like a society with solidarity and with more uh, love uh, together. Now, religion is probably the controversial one you, you mentioned. So I can see positive aspects of religion, and I can also see negative aspects of religion. And on the positive side, there's the sense that some religions serve as knowledge keepers, right? Like the Vatican would be an example of that. There's also the sense that they provide a basic moral code, absent belief. I think you mentioned the Ten Commandments earlier at some point. On the other hand, I can see how they can be a force for evil, right, in terms of presenting things in a matter that disables critical thinking, where everything is about belief and less about knowledge or personal knowledge. So why would religion be in that category? Because I'm sure that there's audience members who are going to be very offended by that, and I understand it. Again, I'm on the fence on this one. So what's the rationale behind religion being one of these great evils? First, uh, let me clarify. We should follow the teachings of Christ, that's for sure. When Christ came about 2,000 years ago, he was meant to abolish religions. And he wasn't meant to establish a religion of Christianity. And within 300 years or so after his preachings, people followed his teachings. But then when everything kind of turned into the canonized Bible, and there are certain things that the religious organizations try to do that kind of distorted the original ancient scriptures of the Bible. And this book, Theoba Prophecy, specifically named the four Catholic Church Council meetings that distorted the ancient scriptures of the Bible. Which is like the Council of Trent, the Council of Nicaea. I'm sure there's two more, but I don't, I can't. Yes. And it's so specific that it pointed out the inconsistencies of the Bible. So it gives like a two pages of uh, descriptions of what the Bible says and what the inconsistencies are uh, just from the scriptures in the Bible. So people who are interested might take a look at that. And I find that to be interesting because in the Catholic religion, they believe uh, that God has no faith. But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are certain descriptions that talked about people or yeah, human beings that came to, to earth. So religions are organized by people, and people try to use religions to their advantage to kind of keep others ignorant about it. When you talk about the Vatican records, this is a very good example. The Vatican has a lot of information that hasn't been revealed to the public. I work with a, a lawyer called uh, Daniel Sheehan, or Danny Sheehan, who yeah, was, yeah, yeah, okay. So he he was the former counsel for the disclosure project. He was also the counsel, general counsel for the Jesuits, the, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. When he was uh, looking to this UFO matter. He was requesting access from the Vatican to grant him access to the Vatican records, the library. He was denied access twice. <laughs> so it's like denying your own lawyer <laughs> of doing certain things for your benefit. So you can imagine what kind of records they have uh, to keep it from 
um, to keep it from the public's knowledge. Yeah, they, I think they opened access to Dana Walsh Pasolka, who wrote a book called American Cosmic. But I think they look for people who are highly credentialed religious scholars, so a PhD in those sorts of things. And you know, Danny Sheehan is, you know, got the standard JD, you know, <laughs> lawyer kind of degree. So. You know, I don't know. People who are studying ancient religions and stuff like that will have at least some knowledge or training on how to you know, be archivists and you know treat the materials in a way that doesn't cause them to dissolve in your hands and things like that. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a there's a good reason. But they definitely keep things, and I think there's like fifty three miles or fifty four miles of. Warrens underneath the Vatican, where they store all this stuff. Apparently, well, speaking of the Vatican records, I want to bring you one more attention. Is that uh, I know a very, I don't even believe in astrology, but I know a kind of well-known astrologer in Los Angeles who actually uh, received a mysterious phone call requesting him to draw a birth chart of a certain person who was born in Bethlehem, and the, the day that. He was given was, it was, um, it was Mar- like March or April or something, right? March 28th, uh, the year 28 AD at 5.40 AM. And then when he drew that birth chart, it really surprised him because it appears to be someone who is uh, very extraordinary, both highly spiritual and highly practical. It just seems like a perfect birth chart. And it really corroborates with the book, The Oba Prophecy, because the birth of Jesus can be really pinpointed really from the Chinese astronomical records. But the coming of Christ, who came later before he began preaching, is actually, according to Theoba prophecies, was actually an ET coming from the planet Theoba. And this birth chart, the date and time and location, actually pinpointed probably the Christ that came that resembled um, a perfect human being. And actually, Michel de Marquet, the author of the book, explains uh, something about astrology, saying that it actually it works because it's actually a natural phenomenon in which when a, when a person is born on a certain date and time, a certain percent of the electrons of the astral body is actually affected by the electron magnetic forces influenced by the positions of the planets in our solar system. So this is why certain people who are born at the same time, they have certain similarities in terms of personalities. And, and I think kind of if, if you really think about this, this book explains almost everything that we can think of, like everything imaginable. And it's really worth looking into it. And in terms of who was the astrologer that you were the name of the astrologer, astrologer is uh, let me give it the name is kind of Paolo. Let me see, uh, Gian Paolo Di Coco. Okay, and then he's based in Los Angeles. He's based in Los Angeles, and he received this mysterious phone call, and the voice sounded like a robotic voice, like machine-made voice, and they when had. Did you receive this phone call? Years ago, I don't remember which year, but years ago. And then when he asked him where he got the date and time and the information, he said, the other side of the phone call said the Vatican records. Mm, interesting. 
Okay. And then it seems like you're all in on this book. So is this something, there's the difference again, I mentioned earlier, the difference between belief and knowledge. Knowledge comes from direct experience. So Demarquet would have knowledge of the Theobans if what he claims is true, if he was taken by them, he directly experienced it. But by reading a book, you're not getting direct experiential knowledge. You're just getting kind of a belief system because you seem like you know as opposed to believe. So what flipped that switch from belief to knowledge for you? You know, after I read the book, I I felt, oh, this is uh, something extraordinary that answers all the questions that I was wondering about. Mysteries of the pyramid is one of the most interesting things I was looking for. But then in the postscript, it says that more incredible things that the author Michel de Marquet was not allowed to write about because we were far from understanding them. That got me extremely curious. There's a whole reason that I decided to track him down. And I visited him twice, and he told that information to me, which uh, shocked me, and it really relates to how we are going to be heading towards in terms of the future. So if we don't change, then there are going to be catastrophes that are not just uh, to the people in the U.S., but also people in every different nation, in every nation in the world. It's the destiny of entire humankind. So this is why I've been spending a lot of time and energy to spread the information and the messages in the book, hoping that people can wake up and to really look at what's really happening around them and to know that they can connect to God on their own through their prayers or meditation, and so that they can form concerted actions, collective actions, having like a maybe like a strike or something, using nonviolent resistance, so that we can change the future for the better. Because the past is fixed, we can travel to the past. We can look at what's happening in the past. But the future- Is the past really fixed though? It is. Are you familiar with retro causation? You know, Michel de Marquet was led into what happened in the past 14,500 years ago. When they took his astral body to the psychosphere, the Akashic record, he saw a holographic projection of all the things that were happening in the past. He, he could observe and feel and, and hear and to experience what happened in the past but he couldn't change anything in the past. He couldn't touch them because they were like holographic images or projections. So that's it what- like a, It was like a recording of the past as opposed yes, to- Yes, recording, past. 3D recording, 4D recording of the past. But the future is determinable. It depends on our actions. We can change the future. It's really analytical to what we see where the ends are going. We can see the stones or rivers or a pond of water in front of the ants. And the ants can also change the directions where they're going to get around of the obstacles. Similarly, we can also change the directions of how we live our lives so that we can avoid the catastrophes in the future. It's like some psychics can see certain things happening in the future. But if we change our actions, we can get around it. Any last words of advice to the audience? 
Well, I think it's important to have knowledge. It's important to have the knowledge to know how to respond to the situations in the future. There may be some financial challenges ahead of you or relationship-related issues. The key is to look inside for answers because the most important sentence in the Bible, I think, is the kingdom of God is within you. So you should always look inside for answers, not outside. And check this book out because this book contains a lot of useful and practical knowledge that you can take advantage of. Is it okay if I put the link to the book in the description? Yes, please. Okay. And I I didn't bite when you first said that he told you something that that he hadn't told anybody else. And I know everybody asked the question, what is that knowledge that he passed on? I I, kind of know what the answer is going to be, but my audience doesn't. So I kind of knew what you had said in the past. So I assumed everybody else did, but I'm just going to, you know, I I have to do my audience that favor. Yeah. So Michel de Marquet told that one thing to me, but he also told me that Tao, the ET, told him and to ask me not to tell anyone else. So I have to keep my word. But what they didn't say is that I couldn't write an article revealing as many clues and hints as possible to make it a puzzle. So I wrote an article titled The Second Coming of Christ. So people, if are interested, can check out the article. And certain passages in the four Gospels of the New Testament of the Bible are accurate. And I kind of related to some of the verses in the Bible and is uh, very interesting. Okay, I think we both know what book, or at least I know what book you're talking about, even though you didn't tell me. And I'm sure the audience will be able to figure it out from context clues. So I appreciate you, Samuel, and thank you for coming on the show. And I hope people learn a ton about the topic and and we'll see how it goes. Thank you, Michelle. Yep, thank you again. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.